I, I really am excited because I'm, I'm having an opportunity to bring my gift uh, to you this morning. And hopefully what we're going to do is to talk a little bit about marriage. And I'm a funny guy, so I have lots of good stories. Um, and going to show some funny pictures, right? I didn't always look like I look now. But you might find that old picture. I remember laughing at my... Uh, you know, relatives' pictures in their yearbook. You remember those yearbooks from the 50s? And we used to look at those crazy haircuts and laugh. Well, you're going to get a chance to laugh at me as well. But this lady that uh, was just up here, I don't know. I don't know how she... I know she's wanted to put me at the curb a few times. And uh, I know there's a lot of men that can relate to that. Um... But I will be honest, there are some times I would have liked to put her at the curb. Uh, but that's actually the challenge and the reality. Marriage is a very humbling business. It's very humbling. Uh, and I really think in some ways what, what ends up happening is we see the grace that is spelled out in the scriptures. Um, and, you know, Paul talked about marriage as a mystery. So, you know, of course he was saying, well, I'm actually talking about uh, Christ and the church. But I think he really was on to something there. Because there isn't any way for your partner not to see not only the very best of who you are as a human being, as a person, but the very worst. And when you're able to still push through and love that person, even with all their foibles and bad habits and annoying, terribly annoying little idiosyncrasies. Um, you, you know, that's, that's grace. That's love. So I want to start off with a scripture. It's right in your little ha handy handout. And thank you, Jason and uh, staff, for putting this all together for me. Um, the scripture is from Hebrews 13.4, and it says... Let marriage be held in honor, esteemed worthy, precious, of great price, and especially dear in all things. Now, you've got to go back to the very beginning, right? Adam's in the garden, and he's in complete communion with the Father. I mean, they're having this great intimacy. And for whatever reason, the Lord looks and says... It's not good for man to be alone. Now, you can talk about that on multiple levels. You could talk about it as it relates to um, the actual, you know, the idea of another human being. Yeah, we were made in God's image, but we're not God. And so God in his infinite wisdom realized we've got to have somebody else that this, uh, this fella can relate to, right? It also has to do with the broader community. You know, I, I, I want you to know, I love coming together for corporate worship, to be able to be with fellow believers. It's not good for man to be alone. Your faith is not to be expressed in an aloneness, although there are times when you may find yourself alone depending on circumstances. But God said it's not good for man to be alone. And if you think about that, he created woman to bring that intimacy 
to man in a different way, right? And I think there's too much that's made of, um, you know, the submission scriptures and those sorts of things, because to really have intimacy, you have to be able to be equals. There has to, I mean, for me to really share my heart with, with Cindy, I have to know that she respects me, that she values me, that there's a certain um, kind of dignity that is in the relationship, and that goes the other way too, as it relates to her. And if you look in the scriptures, the Lord was always about, and I throw different concepts around. You got to remember, I'm a professor, and so you know I'm taken with the, as my mother would call these fifty-dollar words. You know, he was into minimizing hierarchy. You go through the scriptures. The only time Jesus pulled the authority card, if you want to call it, was with the religious leaders. He never did that with J.Q. Public or John Doe. And he said, I no longer call you servants, but what? Friends. Friends right here, eye to eye. So, and guys, I, I can ramble. I'm really going to have to watch this clock or I'm never going to get through but five minutes of my presentation. All right, so I'm going to talk to the guys for a second. I want you to imagine that you're going to get a new car, and you go down here to whatever dealership that you decide, whatever your favorite vehicle is, and you get a new car, and you start to drive that car around, right? Now, do you just drive it and drive it and drive it until the wheels fall off? I bet not. In fact, they give you a manual that comes with the car. And it actually has a maintenance schedule. And it tells you, at this particular juncture, you change the oil. At this particular juncture, you're going to need to have those spark plugs changed. You know, maybe it's a, heck, they got them now, it's like 100,000 miles. But there are these things that need to be done in an effort to care for the vehicle, right? Now, I don't want to commodify relationships, but there is a tendency for many people when they get married to put the marriage on what we call automatic pilot, right? And automatic pilot means we get kind of into the cares of the world and the things that are happening, and we don't really think about how we're doing. We don't think about, uh, so that's, that's, that's the reason for the title, how are we doing? How are we doing? So, I'm going to propose to you, kind of like I had said to the kids that I wanted to give them a valentine, my valentine to you is, when you go home, sometime this week, I want you to ask your partner, or your fiancé, or your girlfriend or boyfriend, assuming that you have one, how are we doing? How are we doing with this thing? How's it going? All right? Are there areas where we could be improving or making the relationship better? There are lots of things that go unspoken in a marriage. That's another interesting thing and the reason that uh, relationships get in trouble. There's a tendency to think that the marriages that end in divorce are these really conflict-laden, they just fight. They just get in and fight and they hate each other. Now, granted, there's probably about 30% of those relationships that that's the case, as far as the relationships that divorce. 
70% of them are what we call devitalized marriages. Do you know what devitalized means? It's like the life has been sucked out of the relationship. They, people are civil. They get along with each other. Um, but there's, there's not much of that intimacy going on in terms of sharing from in here right? What's happening in here. So I don't necessarily have a maintenance schedule for you to hand to you uh, today, but we're going to take a walk down memory lane with my lovely wife and I and show you a couple photos that represent the different junctures of marriage. And then I want to talk relative to those uh, different stages, the kinds of things that you need to be doing. And I am going to be uh, looking at the um, clock from time to time. So I have a scripture in here from Ecclesiastes, uh, the very famous one, to everything there is a season and a time to every purpose under heaven. And I'm just going to skip to the end that it says, he hath made everything beautiful in its time. He's made everything beautiful in its time. So, um, Jason, could you put the first clip up? Now, don't laugh. Man, he is a stud. <laughs> That's not a permanent. I want you to know that. And Debbie Newber used to cut my hair back in the day. That's, that's all natural curls. I don't know what happened, though. Hey, the shiny is on the penny. Don't we look great? But the shiny comes off the penny as you start to deal with the mundane things of life. Give me the next shot, Jason. This is just to give you a little ambiance, right? This is from across the pond in Reg and Ruth's backyard. And when we were talking about mentors, Reg and Ruth were probably the single most influence in terms of mentoring for me. My dad just passed away this, this past Tuesday, and I loved my dad, but he gave me um, a gift. The gift was, this is what not to be. Sometimes people give you that gift. This is not what not to be, but you can get lost in what to be, right? So to be able to search out people within your network um, is an important thing to do, and I had the benefit of of, uh, and many of you knew Reg and Ruth. They, they went here. In fact, they were responsible for us coming to this church back in 91. Uh, but they were a wonderful testimony to a good Christian marriage. And, you know, I remember them having their spats and, and whatnot. Please don't think that that stuff doesn't go on in even the best of relationships. Okay, give me the next one, Jason. So, in the beginning, when the shiny's on the penny... Everybody's thinking forward to these wonderful children that you're going to have, right? I mean, most of us. Um, some people end up, for whatever reason, choosing not to have kids, or they're in a position where, um, uh, you know, some infertility, maybe they adopt something like this. But, but you have to take on the parenting role. And I'm going to be honest with you, I was really kind of scared of that one. Uh, given my history and, and my dad, I was worried. What kind of father would I be? 
right? But you know, you take on those children, and what happens? I mean, it's exhausting. The shiny comes off the penny real quick about the time that kid has the flu, right? And I don't know if you remember that old Steve Martin shot in the parenthood or whatever that movie was where the kid just projectile vomit. That happens. It happens. And you start wondering at that point, how are we going to manage? Today, since we have women fully, about 75%, included in the workforce, working full-time, that's the full-time, not, not just part-time, we've got a kind of changing of the guard that goes on where, you know, man, uh, either the woman or the, uh, the wife or the husband are happy to see the other one come home. It's kind of like tag team in wrestling. You hit each other, the other one jumps in the ring, starts doing whatever they need to do with those kids, and the other one goes, oh my gosh. Oh, thank God for that break, right? Now, how do you think that impacts the marriage relationship? Right? It kind of has a way of, of kind of wearing it down. And we'll come back to, to that in terms of how to make that something different. All right, so here we are with our three. This is about 1989, I think, right? Uh, actually, this was for a wedding here. And um, Natalie, Tommy, and Scotty. Scotty's actually a pastor in Texas now. Uh, so we're loving on our kids. All right, next one. All right, this is teenagers. Now, I thought this was just a funny photo. I have no idea what the storyline is behind it other than teenagers are a little different in terms of the things that they need than the little ones. You're exhausted caring for little ones as a parent, but you're also exhausted dealing with a teenager, but it's a little different. In the intensity of childcare with children, you're, you're just exhausted. With teenagers, you're laying awake at night wondering, are they where they're supposed to be or where they said they were going to be? Are they going to make good choices? So you're still, still sleep deprived. You're, you don't get a break when the kids become teenagers. It's just a different issue. And the thing about teenagers is it's part of our job to help them bridge to the outside world. You know, I, I must admit, uh, I pray for my kids more as adults than I ever did when they were little. I could control the environment, the atmosphere when they was little. It started to change when they became teenagers, and that now they're adults, and um, I'm, I am. I'm, I'm praying way more than I thought I would. I, now, granted, I'm old school, you know. The, the, the assumption was when I turned 18, you get your little fanny out the door and don't even think about staying here again. <laughs> and I know some of you got that message. You know, your mother and I, we're not here to just kind of take care of you forever. You, you get yourself squared away and then get going. Well, it's a little different today, right? With uh, the additional training, uh, education, all the things that are going on, the average age of first marriage for men is 28, for women 27. I was 21. Mm. 
That's, that's kind of scary, right? So that's part of the reason, but it also creates some additional pressure uh, on the marriage kind of going that far. Used to be thought when, when Cindy and I got together, you got together and we're going to slay the dragons of life together. Where now it's kind of like marriage is icing on the cake. You wait till you got everything lined up and now we get married. It's kind of like a, a different way to approach it. So that when hardships and adversity come to the folks that got married later, it's, it's more of a challenge, I think. All right, let's go to the next one. Yeah, this is at Natalie's wedding, 2003, handing off. I apologize to Milo, my son-in-law. I couldn't find another picture. Um, but, um, you know, another transition. Another transition, right? So what, what's going on here? Not only are, do we have um, uh, sons and daughters that are launching out of the home. You talk about entrances and exits. Um, it's, it can be, you almost need a scorecard for who's in the house in terms of people coming and going, right? Um, we thought about putting a, you know, a big whiteboard up and somebody could just put an exit, I'm in the house, because it was people coming and going so much. Um, the other thing about this transition in terms of the marriage now is typically our parents' health is starting to be impacted. We're needing to care for the older generation as well as this generation we're trying to, to get out of the house. Again, each of these are important transition points in the life, life cycle of a family, and they create a certain amount of uh, tension just trying to manage it. Let's go to the next one. Yeah, I had to throw this one in. It's just so cute. I mean, this is, this is my first grandson, Gabe. We're coming from uh, um, my, um, my wife's brother-in-law and her sister. They have a horses and horse barn. So we're walking back from the horse barn. This is a few years ago. Um, but he's just so cute. Now we're grandparents. And let me tell you something, grandparenting is where it's at. And I know you've heard this before. It's the one thing that lives up to its billing. Most of the things they tell us about life, yeah, they're a little more challenging than the way they present it. Getting married, it was good. But then you got to do the work. Having kids, it was great. But then you got to raise the little hellions. Then you get on to the next level. But grandparenting is different. You just love on them, and then you give them back. <laughs> okay, go to the next one. Another marriage. Scotty's marriage. Scotty and Melissa. Yep, and there you even get to see uh, Milo and uh, the grandsons. We got two, we have three now. As uh, Cindy mentioned, we got Gabe, Dan, Danny, and Noah. We have a redhead. Can you believe that? I don't know where that came from. Okay, so now we're launching some more. And Scotty, I think he'd be okay with this. He was our boomerang child. They actually are writing about this in the literature that some kids have a tougher time launching than others. 
So boy, my family would have had a tough time if I came home and said, you know what, Dad, I need to live with you and Mom for a little while. That, yeah, that wouldn't have went over in my generation. But the encouragement to you, you grandparents out there that might have an adult child that needs to bounce back, let them bounce back. The deal is, it's not the same. It's not the same. They need a place to crash, figure out what they're doing to move on. Next slide. Ah, yeah. She's got the most beautiful lips of anybody I've ever met. Yeah. So this is actually the play, the Christmas play here in 2009. Yeah. This is when Adam was Jesus, if you remember that. I think that was his, uh, his debut uh, as it relates to the church. At least I think. I, I don't know. Yeah, that was his debut. Um, but here we are. Look, we're alone. Now, I'm here to tell you that ain't necessarily a bad thing. Yes, I don't need a scorecard to know whether my wife is home or not. Uh, although she does like to go, so that's another deal. But we're back home again. What are we dealing with now? What are we dealing with now? We're dealing with all sorts of stuff. Um, I mentioned my dad just passed Tuesday. Her mom just passed in uh, this previous October. Uh, we're becoming the older generation. Who, Lord have mercy. We're the old people now. That's like I was singing. Singing makes you feel young. We go into those nursing homes with the impact singers, and you can see the little eyes light up on those residents there, as debilitated as they are with their Alzheimer's and whatever else they have going on. But we're the older generation. All right, already I'm messing up the time, Nicole, I'm sorry. Um, so, I want you to take a temperature reading. How are we doing, right? You remember your mom used to, let me feel your forehead. She'd be checking to see if you had a fever. Gonna make some changes, right? I want you to take a temperature reading. Where, what are you doing here? And here's some, here's some things, and I'm gonna have to move through this pretty quick, but I'm definitely not gonna be done in a minute. Uh, and you guys can slay me later uh, for going over time. But you didn't wanna run right out of here anyway, right? Not now. I got you kinda hanging on my every word. Well, maybe not quite. So how, how are we supposed to do this conflict thing? I don't know about you, I can get pretty worked up. I'm not the only one, come on, right? But it's pretty simple, no name calling. And you know what, that doesn't just mean swearing. People will use loaded words like lazy, right? There's all sorts of other ways to frame or you get that look, that look of disgust from your partner. That's just like throwing a grenade in terms of the relationship. No name calling. The scriptures are clear about the importance of being able to control our tongue. Use a filter. Now, I'm not going to get into politics. Not going to do it. Use a filter, please. When you're communicating, you don't just say everything. You say the things you, you, you want to speak in a way your partner can hear, your, your husband, your wife. So to do that means to do it with a certain amount of kindness. 
even when you have to say the hard things. Second one is to be, stay focused on the issue, right? Stay focused on the issue. Um, I've done a lot of counseling in these 40 years that I've been in the profession as a marriage and family therapist, and I'll have couples come in that haven't figured this out, and somebody has not been talking, and they've loaded up. I mean, it's like they've got a litany of items that haven't been talked about. And once the uh, conflict starts, five minutes into it, they have no idea what they're fighting about. And some of you have been through this. You go, oh my gosh, oh. I mean, if you can keep a sense of humor, where, what are we talking about? What, what is this argument? Stay focused on the single issue. The third one is bring a willingness to compromise. Bring the tenderness of who you are. Um, actually, what I see with these devitalized relationships is that people develop a hard heart. I love the scriptures. The, the scriptures are timeless in terms of understanding who we are, the nature of who we are as human beings. Uh, too often, it's overlooked. But the Lord wants a people who doesn't have a heart of stone, but still has that tenderness, right? He wants to write his law on our hearts so that we make the right choices just out of wanting to please him. And we know that they're healthy. You follow his dictates, his law, and it's always going to be a blessing. And how do we do that with our partner? I hope you pray with your spouse. When we're stuck and I'm ready to put her at the curb, I say, babe, I think we need to pray. And then when I pray, I don't know about you, when I get in touch with the Father, my heart is softened. And I'm able to see things a little more clearly and recognize the part that I play in whatever this challenge is. Because the, the American way is to blame the other person. It's your fault that we're having trouble. It's your fault that we're in this mess. It's your fault. It's your fault. And we don't necessarily use those words, but that's the message we give when we get worked up. Why are you doing this to me? Right? But when you pray, you end up having something different, a different experience. It keeps the softness, the tenderness, and you're able to repent, and you're able to apologize to this person that you love. Look at me. I guess I'm not going to get to the best part. But I'll tell you what. I will send... Um, the church, the video. Yeah, I have videos, if you could believe it. I'm, I'm teaching full-time online. Can you believe that? And it's legit. It's not a paper mill. At least the part I do is not a paper mill. <laughs> but there was one other piece in this that um, I think is really important that had to do with um, the work-family balance. Um, and what I do in this conversation, it's a, it's a lecture that I give to students, is about how I don't believe in happiness. I know it's in the Constitution that we should pursue it and, you know, how we arrange things. But I'm here to tell you, the way we define happiness, nah. It's, it just isn't going to happen. Um, because the way we define it is a state or condition. 
You can't get there. It's a moment. I have happy moments. I don't have happy. The, the moment you have happy, it's like squeezing a bird. You're going to kill it. You just kind of welcome it, and you welcome those moments. And granted, maybe you can string along a number of moments and feel a certain amount of happiness. But part of the reason I say that is that's part of the myth of American culture. What did most of your parents say to you? I just want you to be... Yeah, yeah, you didn't even have to look at your notes for that one. Happy. So in this lecture that I give... I talk about some different ideals that, um, uh, that people have about from American culture. And they want to be, uh, they want to have a hot romance. And that includes not just the lovemaking, but that notion of the ideal, you know, the ideal and the real. They also want to have an abiding friendship. That goes back to the intimacy I was talking about. People want to be friends with their partner, their spouse. And I think that's wonderful. But again, the shiny comes off the penny when you're dealing with the mundane issues of life. People want to be great parents. 40 years of counseling. I've never had a client come in that said to me, you know what, I don't care. I don't care about being a parent. They more often than not come in saying, Doc, help me not to repeat the sins of my father, even though they don't put it in those terms. And then finally, most people want to have a successful career. So it becomes a juggling act. But I'm not going to give it away. I'm going to go ahead and um, uh, I'll send the link. It'll be interesting to see how many of you, I, you know, I can get online and check the data, see how many people clicked on it. But what I want to do now is to actually pray for everybody. And I apologize uh, for not getting everything in there. Um, kind of tough when you got 40 years of information and try to narrow it all down. But I think you guys get the gist of what I'm trying to say to you. But I want to pray for you. And I want to do it in this way, which is I'm going to have uh, folks stand as they are comfortable. You don't have to stand. But I, I, I want to send this blessing with you. Um, and I'd like to start with those people that are not married. Stand. Father God, we pray for these young people and ask that your spirit would give them discernment about how to choose the right partner. Lord, we thank you that they are here. Let them know that the most important thing is to find someone that loves you. All the other things will fall into place. Can I have the people stand that are not newlyweds, but, you know, you don't have any kids. Lord, we pray for these young people, and maybe some older people in there too, who knows, um, and just ask that your spirit would move through them as they have to deal with conflict, and the changes of life that come that seem to be overwhelming at times. Give them a spirit that they don't turn on each other, that they look to each other, that they're willing to get on their knees and pray with one another to bear their souls. Bless them, Father. Um, can I have the, the folks with the, 
with kids, right? Tell you what, let's, for the sake of time, let's include if you've got, well, you usually you have a bunch of different ages, so just all the people with the kids. Um, Lord, what a responsibility it is to try to care for these children and raise them in such a way that they're going to love you and that, that they are going to flourish in this world. Oh, Father, um, we just lift them up to your throne of grace. Ask them that they can still see the shiny on the penny, even with the mundane things of life, Lord, that they have to deal with. Uh, help them to recognize that name-calling doesn't work. It doesn't work. And there's got to be a better way to communicate and talk about those hard things. Let their hearts be open to one another. Um, I'd like the folks that are remarried, the folks that are divorced, the folks that are widowed. You thought I forgot about you, didn't you? Lord, these tender souls. Lord, you said you bring beauty from ashes. You will not forget any one of us, regardless of our circumstance. Lord, I just ask that you would touch them. You touch these relationships. You touch the people that are a part of their life, that they're able to give to, to, to the members of their family, the extended family, uh, even fictive kin, Father, people that are grafted into family, uh, just as we are, um, and that you would give them knowledge uh, about how not to hold a hardness of heart, how to get past the grief that is there, and that there are new beginnings out there, Lord. So, Jesus, just touch your people. We do want to build stronger families here at First Assembly, Lord, and I thank you for the opportunity to, uh, to speak to this wonderful group. In your precious name we pray. Amen. Thank you.